Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode. I am your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. And Brooks, it's been a bit of a crazy week after a few days with no James and James Wiseman news. The NCAA announced on Wednesday that he had a 12-game suspension, two of which had been served, so 10 games left. Uh, initial reactions, what did you think when you first heard the news? Well, I think the University of Memphis would hope that it would be a guy named Jameson Wiseman that is they're talking about instead of James Wiseman. But uh, <laughs> I think I combined the first name and the last name there. <laughs> it's all good. So initial reactions, yeah, it's been hashed and rehashed and uh, talked about ad nauseum. But it, it was extremely, the 12 games total, extremely harsh. Uh, not what I expected. I, You know, I said on the boards, I said somewhere between three and nine, uh, no less than three. Uh, but no more than nine. And nine was pretty spot on. I thought that would be the high end, though. Um, But it turns out the NCAA decided to punish James Wiseman for the actions of Penny Hardaway in the school and them deciding to play James Wiseman for those first three contests. I got a corn chip making its way down my throat as I'm speaking, so you'll have to forgive the (laughs) voice crack if it comes. But, you know, I think the... The big thing to me, initially, just looking at this from 50,000 feet, the NCAA sent a, a message to James Wiseman and any other player like him coming in the next you know, four or five years to say, do not challenge us with a lawsuit. Do not get a temporary restraining order. Do not challenge this eligibility process. And why do I say that? Well, if the NCAA were upset at the University of Memphis for those three games that Wiseman played in, punish Penny Hardaway, punish the school, you know, pass, pass down additional penalties to the coach that, that didn't keep him on the bench. Instead, they punish the player who's already serving a sentence for something he didn't do. He's serving nine-game suspension uh, for his mother taking $11,500 from Penny Hardaway. He had nothing to do with it. And then he was played in a game where he felt like he should be able to play because he got a restraining order. And the University of Memphis and Penny Hardaway decided to play him. And the NCAA decided to punish James Wiseman by saying, you get to sit an additional three games now. So that's what happens. We'll make an example out of you when you decide to challenge us over issues of eligibility. So that's my first takeaway. Um, so much that could be parsed out here, though. It's it's not an easy issue. It's very complicated. Yeah, there, I mean, there's obviously a lot to unpack with this, and there has been a ton of commentary on this over the past 24 hours, and expectedly so. But, you know, your point to me is, is really the biggest point that matters, and that's that James Wiseman uh, is, is suffering from all this, and he's the one that's being punished for all this. Um, and it's it honestly just shows us where the NCAA is at. I mean, and it's just like you said, with they're trying to use James Wiseman as an example. They're trying to set an example to anyone else that wants to test the NCAA that you will pay big time if you do so. 
Um, and it, and it honestly, it sucks for James because if you know him personally at all, he is he's an incredible person. He's a really good kid. Uh, obviously, one of the best talents in the country, and he's having to sit 12 games just because the NCAA's pride is hurt that Memphis tried to test them, um, and so now they're making James pay for that. So overall, the situation is is pretty aggravating, and I think you've seen that social media. I mean, it's not it's not often that top level professional athletes talk about a deal like this, but I mean, you look all over the NBA, uh, in the NFL, you know, basically, basically any sport, there's high level athletes speaking out about this and, and speaking up for James Wiseman. I think it says a lot, obviously about his character. Cause I think a lot of people know what kind of person he is, but it also says a lot about how broken the NCAA is. If you have that many people that are willing to speak about, speak out about it, um, and say that there's something wrong there. And there clearly is, obviously it's not an ideal situation for Memphis, I think they can get through the 12 games. I mean, there's obviously they've obviously had two wins already uh, coming off the suspension, and it does get a little bit more difficult. It's not going to be an easy road. They've got some big games in there, NC State, Tennessee, uh, Georgia as well. So there's some big games. I think they can handle it. And then I would watch out <laughs> if, I'm, uh, if I'm playing Memphis after January 12th because I would say James Wiseman's going to come back, not a happy camper. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are positives if if you can look for them. And, you know, it's it's hard to find them. But one thing is, you know, James Wiseman coming into the regular season, he's been injury prone. Let's just call it what it is. He had a hip, hip in injury last year at East and in the AAU season that, that caused him to sit out the um, Adidas championships out in, in um, L.A. He ended up sitting out a little bit of his senior season at East High School. He was banged up over the summer uh, heading into the Bahamas. He was banged up heading into the regular season. So this is a stretch where Wiseman can now focus on getting better. He can work on his skills. He can uh, spend time really trying to to tweak and hone what he does with this team and practice without any eyes on him. Um, you know, one, one thing that you'll see is a lot of times college freshmen – it's almost like the element of surprise. They they pose problems. You look at guys across the country, they have really, really great games the first couple of games, and then once opposing coaches have film on them, they learn to adjust. They know how to take that player out of their game and limit what they do to an extent. Now, do I think that that's like – is that a little bit of a reach? Yeah, sure. Uh, but I'm just trying to keep things in perspective and trying to keep Memphis fans positive because here, here's the thing. I feel like the general consensus is that the sky is falling and everything is going to right now. And I would just caution people to just take a deep breath. This is, this is going to pass. They're going to get through these 10 more games. It's going to be fun. Um, but I do want to point out a few other things about this entire Wiseman situation. This morning, uh, I think it was Thursday morning, I was listening to Jeff Calkins on 92.9. And he actually, I thought he had a brilliant opening segment. Um, his column on Wednesday night was was pretty brilliant. And, and the, the gist of it, from his perspective, is there's a lot of hand-wringing over who's to blame for all of this mess with James Wiseman. And the reality is that People are losing sight of the fact that this is all based upon actions coming from a broken system. You know, when you're dealing with any kind of systemic problem, 
And if anybody follows me on Twitter, you know I'm very passionate about abuse within the church. If you're dealing with systemic problems, the idea that calling out the things that are wrong with that systemic problem in an institution and calling for change as it relates to injustices, uh, specific examples of injustices, there's absolutely nothing wrong for calling for change, accountability, transparency. And so to me, I think Calkins used the, um, the comparison of Tiananmen Square. Uh, I mean, to me, I'm looking at it through the lens of abuse within the church or even just rape culture in general. The idea that we, we point the finger at the victim here. We point the finger at the people supporting the victim. You know, what, what was he or she wearing? What were they doing? What, you know, did they ask for through their actions, through their body language, through what they were drinking or what they were wearing? Uh, how do we somehow blame someone other than the actual problems that are at the foundation and the core of that organization? And the bottom line to me is, if the NCAA were not broken, this is never an issue. If the NCAA has the appropriate level of staffing, this is never an issue. If the NCAA addressed amateurism and you know pay for play in a timely manner, this is never an issue. None of this is ever an issue. And the idea that the, the people surrounding these issues aren't allowed to question the NCAA and bring people into the light that are willing to question the NCAA. It's, it's not fair. One, it's not fair to the people that are relying on the media to see a big picture of what's going on here, to get different perspectives. And two, it's intellectually dishonest to pretend like this this type of issue exists in a vacuum that somehow we can just say this particular instance, if they had just followed the rules, if they had just done what they were told, if they wouldn't have done this or done that, this would have never have happened. And that's all there is to it. Well, that's, that's not the case. You've got to look at it as a whole. You can't simply isolate this one event and say, well, if, if this one player had just done the... It's every player. It's every player. So, I mean, that's that's kind of my soapbox and my rant. I could go into it more, but um, we're going to end up going about an hour long if I go into it more. So, Christian, um, any last takeaways on Wiseman? No, I really don't have anything else there. Like I said, it's it's been rehashed over and over at this point, and, and we're going to continue to hear opinions and what everybody thinks about it, and that's obviously expected in a situation like this. But what I want to move on to is where does this team go now? Uh, we watched them play on Wednesday night against Little Rock, and they just quite honestly looked horrible. Uh, I, th- I thought it was funny. A lot of people were speculating that it was because of the James Wiseman news, but they actually did not know. Come on, bro. Game, so. Come on. Listen to so, that audio. Listen, listen that. To what listen to that audio. You cannot, and you know those. And you know DJ. You know he's a clown. Those guys did did not not know. Those guys knew. You can. I, I don't know. You can hear it in their voices. DJ is so sarcastic and and quick witted, and precious. You can hear it in his voice. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, yeah, we're interested. Go ahead and tell us. Go ahead. What 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 happened? You could hear well, it. Regardless of how it happened, regardless of if they knew or not, um, they still have to play ten games without him. So it, it, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to adapt. Uh, because last night, Wednesday night, was hopefully not what it looks like going forward. Um, Isaiah Maurice and Lance Thomas really didn't make much of an impact. Uh, DJ Jeffries was really good in the first half, but disappeared in the second half. Uh, Precious Achiwa was not there in the first half and kind of came alive late in the second half. So it really wasn't pretty overall. I don't think really anybody on the team had a had a full game that was that could be con- considered a good game. Uh, and they play a much better team on Saturday in Ole Miss. So, Brooks, when you look at the roster makeup now without James Wiseman, uh, kind of what they have coming up in the next few games, what does Memphis have to do differently to avoid losing games without James Wiseman? they got to take care of the ball. They cannot, cannot, cannot have 19 turnovers against Ole Miss. And let's just call it what it is. Those Of those 19, there were so many of those turnovers that were just careless, um, being nonchalant, not protecting the ball, uh, being way too passive, and really just appearing that they just didn't care. Um, They cannot do that against Ole Miss or NC State or Tennessee uh, or Wichita State. They cannot do that. And they also cannot shoot 25% from three. They've got to shoot the ball better. Lester Quinones, Boogie Ellis, DJ Jeffries, and heck, even Tyler Harris – uh, you know, I've been saying it for a while now. I just don't see Tyler Harris being able to give meaningful minutes at this level, uh, mainly because of his inability to guard his position. Um, and that's that's not a knockout. He's a great player, but his size does limit him. You've got to find ways to hide his inabilities that are never going to change because of his height. And, you know, so whoever is on the floor, they've got to shoot the ball better. The Tigers cannot afford to to continue shooting the bar, ball so poorly. Um, I think the last thing is DJ Jeffries needs more minutes, period. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. DJ has, I mean, without James, I think DJ, as of right now, is the best player on the team. I don't even think that's really that arguable because Precious Achiwa hasn't been incredible up to this point. He's had moments where he's looked really good. He's had moments where he's looked like a freshman. So, I mean, DJ has been you know, for my dollar, the most consistent player on the team. So I would continue to play him more. Uh, like I said, first half, he had 15 points, kind of disappeared in the second half, didn't play, didn't play as much, obviously didn't score. I don't, I don't know if he notched any stats in the second half. So it's a little bit weird there, but to me, the biggest development I'll be watching for is Malcolm Dandridge because we know he's practicing, uh, you know, last night before the game and pregame, he was dunking and, and, and looks much more healthy, obviously coming off of the ACL and meniscus surgery. So, I mean, to me, uh, I know a lot of people coming into the year thought that he would be red-shirted, uh, which, which made sense when you looked at the roster makeup, James, Precious, uh, Lance, and Isaiah. But now, when you got 10 more games without James Wiseman, if Malcolm Dandridge can go within the next five or six games, I think he has to because I think he brings a different type of toughness and a, and a different type of player in the front court than you have right now. Uh, so I, I think that's what I'll be watching for. Like like you mentioned, obviously, uh, they they need to play with more confidence, more consistency, more communication. There's plenty of things to clean up, and I think those are are fairly obvious with the way that they've been playing. But I really want to see if Penny's going to put Malcolm out there this year because Malcolm's a guy I watched a lot in high school. I know what type of player he is. Um, I know that, he like I said, he brings a different style 
than the rest of the bigs that they have right now. So that's that's really what I'll be looking for going forward. I'm very curious to see if they get him ready to go here within the you know next month or so. So you think Malcolm Dandridge may play? I do. I do think he may play. Um, like I said, he's already he's been practicing for a few weeks now. Um, had the surgery in March, so he's you know eight and a half, eight months removed from uh, ACL meniscus surgery. So I think it's I think it's definitely a possibility. All right, that'd be interesting. Um, so let's just kind of run through real quick, real fast. Biggest games that you feel like missing James Wiseman will help. You covered this in an article. You broke down the eleven games that the additional 11 games, including last night's game, where Wiseman would be missed the most and how Memphis's front court stacks up against those teams. So which ones, maybe uh, two or three? Let's just throw two or three out there. What, what do you think? Let's see. The the ones that I think they will miss him the most? Yeah. Is, is that what you said? The ones I think will miss him For the sure. most? Well, well, I, I think a lot of people pointed that Tennessee game, and and you and I have actually talked about this. He's not going to be missed as much that Tennessee game due to their size. They're a much more backcourt oriented team. Uh, Wichita State small up front, so I don't think they'll miss him uh, against Wichita State. Georgia's decently young up front. I like Georgia's front court. They've got a rotation of two or three guys that can play pretty well, and they've got some decent size. Uh, so I think I think Georgia is one of them. Uh, I think Ole Miss is actually one of them because if you look at Ole Miss's front court, they're experienced. Um, they, it's honestly their front court's probably been their best thing so far this season. So to me, uh, from looking at all this and breaking it all down, I think Ole Miss and Georgia may be uh, the two games where they miss James Wiseman the most this year. Well, Georgia, they've got uh, a former guy that Memphis fans should be uh, familiar with from Tubby Smith's days, and and that's six foot nine. Uh, forward Rayshon Hammonds and Hammonds is absolutely tearing it up I saw like a, an extremely obscure stat last night that Rayshon Hammonds is like one of the first players in NCAA history in the last 15 years uh, with an uh, under 100 minutes to score over 65 points over 40 rebounds and over 11 assists or something crazy like that so um, had to really dig deep on that one from the Georgia stats department, but uh, Rayshon Hammonds is a load in the paint. Last night he finished with 26 points and 14 rebounds against Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech uh, has an all AAC level big man in the post. So that's definitely going to be a challenge. Um, one thing I do, I want to rewind to the Arkansas Little Rock game real quick. And you said they looked horrible, and and yes, maybe that's true. Maybe. Memphis did look rough last night. I, I would contest that, one, they did know about James Wiseman and that they were distracted. Um, if you look at multiple Twitter accounts, multiple Instagram accounts, there was activity between the hours of four and tip-off. There's no way that those guys are seeing their phones and not knowing about this news. So, Somebody did some research. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of dug around. Whenever I heard that audio, the the press conference, I was like, there's there's no way. And you can hear it in their voices. You can see it on their social media that they were on their phones. So, one, distracted. Two, Arkansas Little Rock's plan coming into this game was to muck it up. They wanted to make this ugly. They wanted to cause turnovers. They wanted to slow it down, get in the last, you know, eight to five to eight seconds of the shot clock. They wanted to keep this low scoring. They wanted to keep Memphis in the upper 50s, lower 60s, and that's exactly what they did. Um, 
So I, I do think that Arkansas Little Rock had a great game plan. They executed. You know, Daryl Walker knows the game of basketball, played for years. Uh, and you look at his staff, they've got a solid staff across the board. Preston Laird knows the guys that Memphis recruited. So I do think that they had a great game plan. And and three, the line was only 16 points. Vegas obviously knew something about this game for it to not be a 20-plus point spread. They only missed the spread by six points, not a massive deal. And And you look – Memphis was five, was it five? Yeah, five of 21 from deep. Five of 21. Horrible, 23.8%. Um, they had 19 turnovers. They shot 15 of 23 from the free throw line. So you hit, let's just say you hit three more free throws. You got one extra three, and you limit yourself to 15 turnovers, and you get a couple extra buckets. Now you're looking at a 20-point win, and no one's talking about how Memphis looks like garbage. And that's what the the game of college basketball is about. It's it's literally it's, it's in the minutia. It's the little bitty things. And even if they did win by 20, yes, they look completely disorganized. They look sloppy at times. But that, again, goes back to point number two. Arkansas Little Rock's game plan coming in was to do that. You know, so – and. The final point I would make about this game, you know, game number five for Memphis, it's five games in. You know, you're coming off of a stretch where you see Kentucky losing uh, a game against, uh, you know, unranked garbage uh, Evansville team. And I say that with all due respect. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then, and then you've got, you know, Kentucky playing a tight game against Utah Valley. Um, and you see it across the country, really good teams with young players struggling early. Memphis last night had six freshmen that were playing and an additional newcomer in Lance Thomas. So you've got so many relatively new pieces that you've, you've got that are trying to plug into this pro read style offense and they're just not running their reads properly yet and that will come so I would say take a deep breath again the sky's not falling like everything's not going to chill what what would the acronym be TFO chill TFO like just chill out (laughs) chill it's it's gonna be okay Um, I do think that there are concerns but that's what practice is for. That's what game prep is for. That's what the scout's for. That's what film review is for. And they're doing all of those things. So if you get halfway through the season, you get back to that point where Wiseman is back and you, you're all of a sudden you're, you've dropped five of the additional 10. If, you, if you're at 500 over these next 10, you're in trouble. You got to basically – you need to win out at that point. Um, just to salvage the excitement from the city. Um, so, but until then, there's no need to play the role of Chicken Little. We're at 23 minutes, Christian. We got so much else to talk about. Yep, we definitely need to take a minute here, word for our sponsors, and then we will get back and talk some Memphis football. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Christian, we do have to get to football. We've got the Houston win to talk about a little bit. We're not going to spoil it because you and Gabe, as always, did a tremendous job with Film Room, and that will be dropping soon. But we've got a preview, USF, Memphis's case for the Cotton Bowl, the AAC Championship game. we got so much to talk about. But before we do that, I do have a few things that I wanted to tee up. And one of them is still basketball-related. And this is a surprise to you, but I do have to bring up one thing. I'm working on a piece right now talking about the number one uh, – sorry, the number 15 player in the country from the 2000. 19 class, Precious Achua. Precious Achua was hyped as a one-and-done prospect coming in. He was, you know, he was one of the elite guys that Memphis signed. And there have been moments where people have questioned why. Precious Achua has, he's had his moments where he's looked brilliant, but then he has other moments where he very much looks like a raw, unrefined freshman. So I am working on a piece talking about the last 11 years of that player, the number 15 player in the country, according to the 247 Sports Composite Ratings. And I I think that the findings of what I'm putting together are going to surprise people. Um, And the one thing I did want to say is, you know, look forward to that article But if you look back over the last 11 years, the average number 15 player in every single class over those years has spent an average of 2.81 years in college. There's only been one one one-and-done prospect in that 11-year period, and that was Archie Goodwin with Kentucky. So the majority of those guys are not going one-and-done. And and I I just want to put expectations kind of – I want to level set them because – I, I knew that that was the the most likely scenario before even researching it. I, I have a good feel for this because I've been doing it so long. And so that that level of prospect, even though Precious was a five-star, he was a Jordan Brand All-American game guy, that does not mean that he's an automatic one-and-done guy. So uh, I would say level your expectations. The next thing and Christian, if you want to say anything on that when, when I get done with this, feel free. Mike Norvell, we've had a lot of people asking on our boards, please say something about Mike Norvell, what Memphis is doing to keep him, what jobs he's a legitimate contender for, who's actually looking at him, who he's talking to. And I'll just flat out say it. I don't talk to the people that are going to know that stuff. That's above my pay grade. That's above the the level of sources that I have. I'm just flat out saying it. Screen record this. Send it to all your buddies. Get a good good laugh out of it. I don't know. And here's why. The information on who Mike Norvell is meeting with, who he's talking to, what schools are trying to negotiate deals with him, what Memphis is doing to renegotiate his contract and keep him, that's done at the level of Mike Norvell's agent. 
Mike Norvell and every other Division I high-level football coach knows to keep their mouth shut when they're renegotiating a contract. They let the agent handle leaking any information as it relates to who's talking to who, what jobs have called you know, with interest, and I don't have agent contacts. A good source for information like this is Football Scoop. They do a great job. They actually put out a story today that Mike Norvell has met with the Arkansas um, athletic director and staff, but that's been an you know occurrence that's happened in the past, and Mike Norvell did not leave Memphis. So I would say look at the landscape as a whole. No one is putting out information about overall what Mike Norvell and his agent are doing in terms of renegotiating or structuring a deal at Memphis, who they've met with, who they haven't. The first bit of information that has really come out was on Thursday morning from Football Scoop. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right there. It's just it, that is the only bit of actual concrete information that has come out since Mike Norvell's name has actually been brought up. I mean, obviously, um, people were saying he was connected to Florida State and Arkansas and that they had possibly reached out to him. Uh, but this is the first big information that we've gotten that he met with Arkansas but seems to be more interested in Florida State and is still garnering interest from Florida State, which is not surprising. Obviously, Florida State's been in a little bit of flux over the past few years, uh, so Mike Norvell makes sense there. Arkansas doesn't make sense as much. I'm just going like, if you look at Arkansas, it's it's not good. It hasn't been good for a while. Chad Morris was only there for two years and got canned, but so... um. Arkansas is not looking like a great job. Obviously, not trying to. Stop. Mike Norvell goes to Arkansas. He's fired within four years. You think? You think you don't? Yeah. You think it takes a I big think, time coach that's been there before to take care of a situation like that? That job is a career ender. Yeah. Look, the, the that division of the SEC is absolutely brutal. Yeah. You cannot survive in the bottom half of that division. Yeah, no, the, the SEC West is is loaded because I mean, obviously, you have the three obvious ones in Alabama, Auburn, and LSU. Texas A and M is typically better than they are this year. Uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State haven't been great in years past, but I mean, it's just the SEC West is call it what it is, much better than the SEC East. You look at the SEC East, and it's basically Georgia and Florida every year, and and I think right now Tennessee might be the third best school if that tells you anything. So the West is. I mean, look at Dan. Look at Dan Mullen. He did everything he could to abandon ship and get out of that division, yes. you know, out of the West. And he was doing well at Mississippi State. And that's very, very hard to do. And he bolted. Yeah. And he's a heck of a football coach. Um, so I just – I agree with you. I don't see it with Arkansas. I know that that's his stomping grounds. I know that obviously getting back into Arkansas would mean a lot to him. But – Again, he said it on Chris Vernon's show, the grass is not always greener, and I just don't see green grass over at the foothills of the Ozarks. I just don't see Not it. at all. Not at all. And, I mean, same thing with Florida State. Uh, since Jimbo Fisher left, Florida State has been terrible. I mean, honestly, even though that they've still recruited at a decently high level, they have not been good. Willie Taggart was a horrible fit for Florida State and could have set them back for a few years. So I'm not trying to say that Mike Norvell will not eventually take Florida State's job because I have no idea. I'm just saying the best situation is at Memphis, and I don't I don't even think that that's an arguable point. Uh, it just depends on how much money Memphis is willing to cough up, what, what offers he gets from different schools. When it comes to coaching carousels and 
uh, different coaches leaving and going to other schools. There are so many factors that go into that. And I know a lot so many. a lot of people take it at name value and say, okay, you know, Arkansas is in the SEC. Uh, Florida State is one of the biggest programs in college football history. How would he turn that down? And I mean, I, I mean, it can't be easy to turn down a job like Florida State, but if he truly loves Memphis, truly wants to be here, feels like he can continue growing his brand here, then he'll stay. If he feels like he has a good opportunity at Florida State and feels like he can turn that program around and change that culture and recruit Florida well, then he's going to go. And at this point, I don't, nobody has any clue. There's still games to be played this year. Mike Norvell's still the head coach at Memphis for, for now. So I say just let it play out. Coaching coaching searches are crazy. It's going to fluctuate a ton. I'm sure more schools will get involved as the season comes to a close um, and other coaches get fired. So it's going to get crazier before it gets better. That's just true of coaching searches. So we'll see. Uh, stay tuned. Have fun with Mike Norvell right now. If he stays, awesome. If he leaves, he changed his program, and, and that's really all you can ask for. He literally gave you the best weekend in the history of Memphis football. Yeah, and one of the best seasons in Memphis football right now. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, Me- Memphis makes it to the Cotton Bowl, and you can just go ahead and write it in the history books and plate it in gold. Best season, most memorable season in Memphis football history, not even close. Yeah, and the only way the only way it could get better than that is if if it, at some point the college football playoff went to eight teams and took a group of five team and Memphis made it. That is the only way it gets better than that because that that would be the magnitude of going to a Cotton Bowl with Memphis. But anyway, Brooks, to move along, I had a game this past weekend against Houston. Another good game for the offense for Brady White. Defense cleaned it up in the second half. Uh, like you said, me and Gabe break that all the way down, so you'll be able to watch that. But I'm very, very interested to move on to the next couple weeks because I think this game against USF is obviously a pretty easy easy game to win. USF is not very good on either side of the ball. But I think Memphis obviously has to take care of business. And I want to look forward a little bit but not too much to Cincinnati and kind of ask you about these last two weeks of the season – how do you feel about Memphis right now? Where are you sitting with Memphis right now going into this final stretch? Because these last two games are massive because they do still control their own destiny. I'm all in. I, I mean, and that's not me being a homer, uh, Gary. That's just me watching this. I've been a fan of Brady White from day one. I thought he's been spectacular. Memphis gets back Patrick Taylor. Uh, you know, it's obviously going to take him a little bit of time. Um, you know, I think that was evident on – uh, Saturday, and it's it's going to be a, a process getting him back in the rotation and getting him fully ready for everything that he's going to do uh, in this off- offense. Um, but I, I think they've got it all right now. I think just like I said last week, Memphis's defense came ready to play against Houston. They limited them to 27 points, um, held them under their average for the season just like I expected them to. And I expect them to come out and do the same this week against USF. I think they're refocused. I think they've got energy heading into this because they know what's at stake. Um, you know, right now the spread's at 14 and a half. I wouldn't be shocked if Memphis won this by three touchdowns going away, um, maybe like a 17 to 42. I mean, I mean I, if if they play like they're capable of, then, yeah, they, they can definitely do that. Now we've seen them go lay an egg on the road with Tulsa. Um, but I honestly think that that was their, I think Tulsa was their wake up call that they could lose to anybody on any given week. So I don't expect that. I expect it to look a lot like the Houston game, 
The one thing that I am looking for is I want to see this defense play another full game. We saw them do it against Ole Miss. We've seen them do it at times throughout the year, but mainly they've been a second-half defense. You look at that Houston game, uh, the first two possessions, Houston had no problem scoring. They had the big pass play, um, and then the 68-yard Clayton Toon run for a touchdown, and then the defense cleaned it up. The last touchdown was a special teams touchdown. It wasn't an offensive touchdown. Um, Navy, you look at Navy's first drive. They go down and score, and then they, they clean it up after that. Uh, Tulane goes down and scores on the first drive. They clean it up after that. So Memphis has really been bad on defense as as, as far as the first few possessions go. They give up big plays early, and then they kind of clean that up. USF is not good on offense. Jordan McLeod is a running quarterback, not a throwing quarterback. So I want to see this team put together a full game on defense. And I know it's against a bad offense in, at USF, but just to put together a full game on defense to build confidence, especially going into that game against Cincinnati, even though Cincinnati's offense isn't that good either, I just wanted to see this defense be able to put together full games where they can take over because they haven't done that up to this point uh, on a consistent basis. So I think that's big over the next couple weeks. One, and here's another reason why I'm all in. I actually think that Cincinnati, there's a very, very good chance that Temple beats them on Saturday. And I think that takes the air out of the sails for for Cincinnati. I know that Temple's a little they're down. So up and down. I they're know they're so a little down, down right now. Yeah. Uh, you know they they just came away with a very good win over a tough Tulane team. Yes, they got their brains bashed in by UCF, but Cincinnati to me they're not everything that I that I think they're built up to be. You know they've they've squeaked by barely. In against against who very ECU very mediocre and USF. team. Yeah. Uh, well, they they did it against USF by three points. East Carolina ECU. put forty three up on on them. Yeah, squeaked by by three. UCF squeaked by by three. Uh, didn't exactly murder um, Miami Ohio, who is uh, not a great football team. Decent? <laughs> no, they're nope. they're decent, but not great. Um, and then just got absolutely demolished by Ohio State. And yes, Ohio State is good. We all know that. Um, and and barely beat UCLA, who is not a good football team, especially at the beginning of the year. They've been better in recent weeks, but they were terrible at the beginning of the year. Well, I mean, come on, UCLA just got demolished by Utah, uh, and That's Utah true. is a yeah, good team. True. Yes, but UCLA is not a good team, and so I, I think. No. You said it. Cincinnati's offense is not great. Memphis's defense, to me, looks primed, and their offense is obviously elite. I think Memphis is going to put up points on Cincinnati that they're not going to be able to match. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all in. I think that they win this weekend by three touchdowns, and I think that they take that game against Cincinnati. Depending on what happens this weekend, though. That's going to be interesting because Cincinnati's not shooing for the AAC championship game at this point. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is the time of year where it gets interesting. Uh, Memphis can't afford to lose a game, uh, especially if SMU continues to win. If, if Memphis drops one and SMU wins out, well, we think we know what that means because SMU would be a one-loss team, Memphis would be a two-loss team. So everything's in front of them. They just have to go take control of it. And I obviously know that the staff has told them that. They have an opportunity to have a special season, and they they really can take advantage of it going into the last few weeks of the season. Not to look too much forward to that Cincinnati game because we'll obviously cover it on next week's episode, but that game is also at home, 
and this team is a different animal at home. And we, I think everybody in the country that's watched Memphis play at the Liberty Bowl understands and knows that. Uh, and Brooks, that, that pretty much wraps it up for football. Last thing I want to say, uh, Kenny Gainwell was just announced as a, as a uh, semifinalist for the Doak Walker, Walker Award. Uh, first freshman since 2017 when Jonathan Taylor was on the, was on the list. Breaking news, Christian Fowler, according to a source. <laughs> oh, Lord. No, anyway. Throw my, throw my blows. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, first freshman since Jonathan Taylor in 2017 to, to be named a semifinalist for the award. So uh, another big honor coming in for Memphis Tiger. Obviously, Kenny's had an incredible season. Uh, and is on a list with some incredible running backs. When you look at Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, uh, there's some big time running backs. Chubba Hubbard. There's there's a ton. Of, I just wanted to say Chubba Hubbard there. I mean he's on the <laughs> list, but you can't pass an, up an opportunity to say that name. Um, so yeah, another big honor for for Kenny Gainwell and that Memphis offense as as the season comes to a close. I mean it only seems fitting that for the big ticket we spent 40 minutes covering. Uh, him and Memphis basketball and Memphis football. Uh, we are going to have a VIP podcast, but we're going to hold the next one for the beginning of next week uh, as Memphis kind of gets over the hump with Ole Miss uh, and news starts coming out about the NCAA appeals process. That should come next week. Um, so as we look forward to that, we're going to put together a great um bucket full of vip information break down in the pot that down in a podcast for the beginning of next week so enjoy this episode enjoy the games this saturday against Ole miss and usf christian you got anything else all good all right that's a wrap thank you for listening to tigers in 20 if you enjoyed this episode we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts if you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 